Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast, an audio insight into the world of elite performance in sport and beyond. My name is John Porch, and I'm the lead writer here at Leaders. As ever, for more information on how to become a member and get daily access to cutting-edge best practice and original research in the fields of leadership and culture, talent and recruitment, coaching and development, human performance, tech, data and analytics, visit leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. That's leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. And who knows, perhaps someday we'll meet each other at one of the growing number of Leaders Performance Summits all over the world. Speaking of which, as I sit here uttering these words under the soothing shade of a willow tree in leafy Wimbledon, we are a week out from the first ever Leaders Performance Summit at the fabled Soldier Field in Chicago. Those of you joining us for this veritable banquet of performance insight will be served rich pickings from across the world of sport and beyond. Alex Mack, the American football centre from the Atlanta Falcons, will explain how he and his team, who reached Super Bowl 51 earlier this year, used data as an essential complement to their already burgeoning arsenal of skills and resources. Beyond sport, we welcome General Laurie Robinson, the highest ranking female general in US history. General Robinson will share her experience of leadership in the high stakes environment of combat and how she preserves her ability to make decisions under intense pressure. We also welcome Mike Bray, head coach of the University of Notre Dame's basketball program, who arrives fresh from reaching another NCAA championship game as the Fighting Irish found their belligerent best last season. Much to look forward to, I'm sure you'd agree. But we're gonna take a step back now Dipping into the archives to bring you this session from the Leader Sport Performance Summit in New York in 2013. Stepping onto the stage that day were John Mara and Jerry Reese, the owner and general manager of the New York Giants respectively. The duo discussed the culture that led to Super Bowl success in 2007 and 2011 and admit that for all the virtues of a roster, it really helps to have what they call a couple of alley cats to drag them into the end zone on game day. With moderator Rick Horro, Mara and Reese also delve into the Giants' process for psychologically testing their draft prospects and free agents. They also look at how they took the franchise from rampant instability to the Vince Lombardi Trophy on two occasions. Looking back, it's fascinating to hear their early take on the impact of social media on the NFL, while Mara also reveals that his mom still knew how to put her son in his place. So, to kick things off, Horo asks Mara how he and his Giants began to build their winning culture. John, let me start with you, if you don't mind. The Giants' leadership and high performance obviously starts from the top. Give us your, your leadership performance blueprint. How, how, do you, how do you build that culture? I don't know that I have any specific blueprint uh, for it. I mean, we've always been a, a, a family-run business. My grandfather started the franchise in 1925, and I'm um, in the third generation. and. Um, you know, when I was in college taking business courses, uh, we, we, I remember taking one on family-run businesses, and the, the first thing that they teach you, or that they taught me in that course, was that they rarely survive the third generation. It's usually the third generation that screws it up somehow. So that's something that has stuck with me for many, many years. And, uh, but, you, you know, we, we have a culture where um, uh, we try to promote the team teamwork concept, even though we're divided into a a business side and a football side. You know, there's no Berlin Wall b between us. People work together. And I, I like to think that we have a, a reputation of uh, treating people fairly with dignity and with respect. It's a place that people want to work. And, and I think that, that helps to foster a, an attitude that, um, you know, we want to win, but we want to win together. My sense, too, we'll follow up with this, and then, Jerry, we're going to talk about what it takes to be a giant. 
you probably honed your consensus building skills at the family table as well. You take a look at other family-owned ownership groups, not only in the NFL and otherwise, but you have a 50-50 partnership with another family. You had 10 other siblings you had to deal with. H how did it come so easily to you? Well, uh, I, you know, I get asked that question a lot about how I got to the position I'm in. I said I made two very, very important decisions very early in life. I picked the right parents, and I had the good sense to be born first. Classic so, early in life. That's the so earliest in life you could possibly have, right? The rest is history. But, but you know, I've, you know, 58 years old, been around this team all my life, and have experienced uh, everything you can experience from, you know, standing on the, the platform uh, at the Super Bowl and accepting the Lombardi Trophy to, to being the worst team in the league. And so, I, you know, we made a lot of poor decisions back in the late 60s and 1970s and had a long stretch there where uh, our teams were not very good, and that was a painful, painful period for us. But we've also had you know, a, a lot of success, especially in recent years. So you, know, you learn. And uh, one, thing, uh, one thing that I've learned is whenever you think you have all the answers and stuff, you better start looking for your next job because you, you, it's just, uh, this is such a competitive business. Um, you're, never, you're never too old to learn. You just have to keep changing with the times. and. Uh, you stick to your core beliefs, but uh, you've always got to be aware of what else is going on in the league. And can we do it better? Can we do something differently that is going to make us better? I think humility is an important subset of performance in this context, clearly. Well, yeah. I mean, again, if you, you, you know, uh, the, the minute you sit back and start, you know, resting on your laurels and, and uh, being content with what you've accomplished in the past, everybody else passes you by. And, and that's what happened to us. We, I mean, we were. If you look at the period from 1958 to 1963, you know, we appeared in five championship games uh, during that period. And then from 1964 to 1980, we weren't in the playoffs once. Just went into a period where we made a lot of poor decisions. And, and uh, it's something that, uh, it, you know, haunts me to this day. Well, but after 80, a lot of it's the football side, at least for the last few years. So, Jerry, what makes a New York Giant in your estimation? Well, number one, I think what makes a giant is somebody who wants to come and play in the team com concept. That, that's what's most important to us. You know, we, we, we preach that from, from our front office all across our building. Like John said, you know, it's, it's a family atmosphere with the Giants. And when you come with the Giants, you know, you have to leave that self part of it behind. So if you come in and you want to play, be part of the team, obviously, you know, we look for players who with the, with the proper height, weight, speed, to play their positions. Uh, we look for character guys. Uh, so th those are the things that, that we like. Uh, the character is important to us. Uh, when when you, you, you start to build your team, you, you think about character. But it's also, you know, we don't mind having a couple, couple of guys, what we call alley cats around. You know, they kind of balance the, 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 the character guys out. Because if you have too many character guys, uh, it's probably not a good mix. If you have too many alley cats, that's definitely not, not a good mix. So, so the, the team concept uh, is what we look for, for, for talented players. Um, so that's, that's really what we look for, the team, team guys who can leave their self behind. Do the Alley Cats know their Alley Cats? Or the Alley Cats know their Alley Cats. Yeah, pretty much everybody knows their Alley, their alley Cats. But again, you don't want to have too many Alley Cats because, again, that's, that's, that's a bad balance as well. Do you approve the Alley Cats? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I learned a long time ago, and our, our former general manager, the late George Young, used to say all the time, if you have a team full of choir boys, you're not going to have a very good team. <laughs> yeah. So you have to balance that out. And, and you know, we, we like to think that we get guys in our organization that have, 
you know, some, some questionable uh, incidents in their past that we can work with them and get them to grow up a little bit. Doesn't always work. I mean, you're going to make mistakes. You're, you know, you're dealing, you know, with, with 22, 23-year-old kids and, uh, uh, you know, who have come from, from some pretty tough backgrounds, but you have to take a risk every once in a while. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, and let's assess that risk, especially with the audience here, um, all uh, committed to assessing performance in a lot of different contexts. What kind of help do you get? Do you do psychological evaluations from time to time? Do you have a team psychologist on staff, et cetera, et cetera? What's we do. We, we give uh, psychological inventories to the players that we, we uh, have potential of drafting. Uh, and we have a couple of different tests that we give. But, but us, you know, we're, we're kind of old school in some ways. We, our scouts, we depend on our scouts a lot. Our scouts go out and uh, they're on the road from 185 to 200 days a year looking, for the, looking at these players and they go in and they get the information. They dig up uh, uh, their, their family history, you know, how they treat the staff there at the, at the universities they attend. So we, we, we listen to our scouts, our scouts get all this information and we like for that, with our scouts information, we like for that to match our psychological inventories. If those two things don't match, we, you know, we do some more research because something's, you know, there's something wrong somewhere or something. So we'll do a little bit more research and try to figure out, you know, why the information that the scouts get and their psychological inventory don't, don't mesh. The, the risk is not, is the data accurate? The risk is, can you either minimize that from repeating itself in the future or is the guy going to uh, change on his own? Uh, how far do you go to um, make those judgments about a, uh, not even the Alicat, but about a player who has some big asterisk, some issue there. How do you, de how do you deal with, with that issue? Well, well I, I think, you know, I think if a guy has a, what, I, what I call a blotter, if he has a, just a, a history of a lot of things, more than likely, you know, guy's not, not going to change their stripes, you know, when, when you have a situation like that. But if you have a guy that has a situation where he made some bad decisions, we've all made some bad decisions, and, you know, you grow and you mature, and, uh, you know, you can move on and grow from, from the bad decisions that you make. But uh, if a guy just has a long list of things over and over and over his history from, from middle school to high school to college, and now, you know, more, more times than not, those guys, it's hard to make those guys change. Yeah, and I guess you listen to Mel Kuyper and all those guys, and they tell you what to do, and you do it? <laughs> not quite. No, good. <laughs> right. Quite. Good answer. Not no quite. comment. Yeah. No yeah. comment yeah. and not quite. That's yeah. the good answer. Yeah. From a hiring top-down perspective, uh, you're involved in all the key personnel decisions, and obviously, Jerry. Give us an idea of, the, of your hierarchy, how you've laid your organization out. Well, you know, on our football side, um, uh, you know, we have a general manager, which is Jerry, who's in charge of all football operations. Uh, the head coach... Uh, reports to Jerry, and um, you know th that's the way we're structured. A lot of teams uh, structure it that way. Some do not. Some give the head coach all the authority, and we've just never believed in doing that. And the reason, quite frankly, is and, and our way is certainly not the only way to go. I mean, there are plenty of teams that have been successful uh, doing it any number of different ways. But but in my experience, uh, the head coaches uh, tend to think about next week's game. What are we going to do to get to win next week's game? How are we going to have enough, the right kind of players on the field to practice this week? So if the general manager tends to take a longer-term view, uh, what's best for us a couple of years down the road? And you know, you can't blame the head coaches for that because they're, they're, they have almost no job security. They get fired so often in our league that they, they're forced 
to just think about winning the next week's game. But that's why I was never comfortable giving a head coach the, the final personnel authority because you know, that what's, what might be best for us for next week is not necessarily best for us uh, a couple of years from now. And the general manager tends to take a longer term view. So that's the way we're structured uh, on the football side. Now, we're fortunate in that you know, Jerry and our head coach, Tom Coughlin, seem to be on the same page you know, 99% of the time. So it works. I've had other situations where the head coach and the general manager you know, are always at odds, and that's a much more difficult situation to work out. Well, you've come from a period of rampant instability to a long period of stability right now. And so the whole idea of hiring a head coach, it ha it's foreign to you, and hopefully for you, it would be foreign to you for a while. But what is your philosophy of, of input uh, in the coaching hiring decision if you, if you saw somebody that you wanted to hire, there were some issues, and he reports directly to him. Is it your decision? Is it his decision? Is it collaborative? How, how does that work? I think it's collaborative, but ownership always has to have the final decision yeah. on, on who the head coach is, is going to be. And fortunately, I, I think we're on the same page 99% of the time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, really. By the way, there's, there's no pressure on you to answer that question the way you presented it. Right? No, of course. On, honestly, communication is really one of the key components yeah. of, uh, I think, uh, being successful. You know, I think we break down the walls. You know, you know, you, you obviously you want to communicate w with your owners. You know, and, you know, I communicate with the owners. I communicate with with the head coach, and uh, we break down all the walls. And we everybody knows what's what's going on in the building. And we try to keep things simple. We don't try to 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 outthink ourselves and and overanalyze things. But communication is the key. You know, uh, John definitely knows what. And one thing, one thing that that you have to be, you have to think about when when you're a general manager when you're reporting. So we have two owners. You know, and yeah. uh, so so you have you know, and, and, and Steve Tish is on, on the West Coast, so so you have to be mindful of that. You got to get to communicate with him as well. Uh, and, and and nowadays, you know, John travels a lot, Steve travels a lot, I travel a lot, and, and sometimes you make some moves, and all of a sudden, you know, with Twitter and social network, you know, things can happen so quickly. You you have to sprint down to to the to John's office and say, look, we did this before it pops up because. One thing owners don't like to be surprised about what happened with, with, with uh, different things in, in the organization, whether you made a move where you cut a player, uh, where you signed a player, where you hired uh, a new staff member. Those things are important because, number one, the owner walks out, you know, he, say he's uh, across town, he walks out and we've made a move and he doesn't know about it. The media is everywhere and there's like, uh, John, what about uh, so-and-so you guys signed? And he doesn't know about it. Owners don't like that. And, and we've, we've had that situation happen and I, and I appreciate that. That you know to try to get the information to to him and get the information information to Steve Tisch. That's really important, man. Because again, you know your, your owner should know everything that's going on, and, and your head coach should know everything that's going on. And communication is really the key for us. He said that about three times in the last thirty seconds. Well, Was there an issue that there uh, were one, happened recently? one or two times where he didn't quite sprint fast enough? Seriously, you know, and, and, and I know that, you know, and and, and, and uh, so. It, and it, and it's absolutely his speed fair. has improved considerably yeah. since those well, let's, let's, let's hang on that for a second because it's really important. Maybe this is not inside. That's really important. It really well, is. It is. And maybe this is too much inside football, but for a lot of the people who are involved with teams, you ought to know, is there, a, is there a regular presumptive Monday morning or Tuesday after Monday night game football staff meeting with, with, uh, with, with the coach and all the assistants or, or just Tom Coughlin, or how, how, do you, how do you do that and how do you report back? Yeah, during the season, you know, we don't meet to meet around, around the New York Giants. You know, we keep everybody informed. But on, on, during the season, uh, every Monday, 
I have to sit down and talk with, with the head coach. And, you know, I come in early on Mondays. I look at every snap, every player, that everything that happened in the game. So I know exactly, you know, obviously I go to all the games, but I watch every player, every snap, offense, defense, special teams. Sunday I, night. Before, before, you know, the, before Monday morning. Monday, right. Monday morning when I get yeah. in all of a sudden. I come in early on Monday mornings so I know everything that happened in the game. And then I spend time with the head coach. We meet on every Monday and we talk about everything. You know, it's kind of a debriefing. You know, what happened in the games? You know, sometimes we get our butt kicked. You know, why did we get our butt kicked? You know, but the number one thing I try to do when I go in and talk to the head coach, I try to accentuate the positive things that happen in the game because there's always a lot of negative that you can talk about. We don't want to accentuate all the negative stuff. We talk about it. We talk out loud. We talk about, you know, why, you know what was your thinking, coach? You don't want to ever go into your head coach and say, coach, you know, you know, that was, you know, that was a BS call that you guys made or something like that. You don't, you don't want to yeah. approach your head coach like that. You want to go say, you, you approach him like this, go, where was our thought process when this happened or when we made this call or when we were thinking about in this situation? So you go in, we, we debrief, we talk out loud, we talk about the facts. We talk about the good, we talk about the bad, we talk about the ugly that happened in the game. Hey, we get past that game, but now how do we win the next game? So that's very important uh, for Coach Coughlin and I, and we talk about personnel moves because you usually have some injuries uh, during the game. Uh, so those, those are the things that we talk about on Mondays. Yeah, and for me, for yeah, me I, I don't, you know, I'll have that conversation with Jerry, you know, and talk about what I saw, and, and he usually incorporates that in, in what he goes to the coach. So I Monday morning believe, before the meeting. Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't go to the coach on a weekly basis and, and – and criticize him or ask him what's going on. I don't think he needs to hear that from me. There's nobody in the building that wants to win as badly as our head coach uh, does, but he doesn't need to be hearing it from five or six different angles. Uh, so this is a very, very high pressure market uh, to be in uh, right here. And if things aren't going well, um, he is hearing it from a lot of different sources and stuff. So I, I like the communications about football matters that come directly from the general manager. I'll go into his office and, and you know, to pat him on the back or say, keep your chin up, we'll get him next week, or great game, let's keep it going, just to try to encourage him, but not during the season to go in there to, to criticize in any way, because that's not going to help us. It's not going to make him work any harder. Um, you know, and I have, a, I, I have a certain amount of trust in, in his judgment that over the long term, he's going to make uh, the right decisions. Would you ever see a scenario where you or Steve Tisch would, would go into Tom Coughlin's office and have a conversation, or would it always go through Jerry? A conversation about the game that just occurred, about how we're playing. Substance. No, I can't see me doing. That. I mean, I would go in there, and you know, we we had a, a stretch last year where we lost a few games in a row and and played very very poorly. And I and I walked into his office just to say, hey, let's get him next week. Come on, let's finish let's finish out the season uh, with a win or two, and 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 you know, try to get some dignity back. You you can do it. You've done it before. You've pulled us out of uh, situations like this before. You can do it again. And it, I just want him to know that I'm supporting him. I don't want him to think that, that I'm looking over his shoulder, that I'm going to be critical of every single move uh, that he's going to make, because that's just not going to help us. That's not productive in the long run. By the way, and as you assess that answer, you ought to be the judge as to whether the other 31 NFL owners and everybody else in organized sports behaves this way or not. We'll just leave it to you guys well, to decide. I don't, I don't, as Jerry can attest, I don't behave very well during the games. I'll tell you that right now. As he's laughing. But, but, but you know, you you got to know when to, you know, kind of curb your, your anger and your emotion and not let it affect your decisions that you're going to make on a long-term and, and one more question on this issue, then we'll go somewhere else. What about assistant coaches who want to talk with you? Will you encourage them 
to go around, go around may be the wrong words, but to, to, to have an independent dialogue with you or should it always go through the head coach? Always go through the head coach. If, if a coach needs to talk, my, I have open door policy. You know, players can come talk to me. Coaches can come talk to me. Anybody in the building can come talk to me. But the, the players know they go to their position coach and the, the position coach go to the head coach. Everything should go through the head coach. Don't, don't come in my office and say, you know, have some conversation with me until you go in and, and speak to the head coach. Talk about, about micromanaging versus macromanaging or not. What, what, had, what, what kind of owner do you think you are? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't look at myself as, as, uh, as the owner. Um, I look at myself as the, the president and CEO. In fact, my mother reminds me all the time that she's the real owner, <laughs> that I'm just an employee and I can be replaced at any minute. So that's that, part of coming that out first. Much, Is yeah, that, that pretty much deal? kills yeah. any notion that, that I'm the actual owner. So, I, I mean, I, I'm very involved in, in what goes on in our organization, but I don't try to micromanage. If the, if the no. head coach and the general manager are on the same page about a personnel decision, then I, then I have enough trust and respect uh, you know, in their judgment that we're going to go ahead. I'm, I'll ask them a million questions and so because I want to be convinced that they, that they have a conviction about a certain decision. But if, if they're both looking at me and saying this is what we need to do, then, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever said no uh, in a situation like that. So that, that, that to me, you, you have to hire the right people right. and then you've got to give them the ability to do their jobs and the resources to do their job. You've got to question them all the time, because I just think it makes for a better organization, that, that, that the more dialogue you have. And sometimes, you, you know, maybe there's a different way of, of, of looking at a particular uh, uh, project or a particular decision. But, but if you have a, a general manager and a head coach and they come to you and they have a conviction about something and, and you're constantly, uh, you know, second-guessing them or overruling them, you're not going to have success. Just remember that you're sprinting down the hall faster than you would have otherwise. <laughs> well, well, let me make a comment on that. Yeah. John, he's definitely not a micromanager. You know, the, the thing that, that we're blessed with with the New York Giants, our owners give us the resources to be successful. That's, that's very important. You know, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you go down there and you ask for things, and, and uh, you know, sometimes you get a little pushback. But if you ask for it enough times, you know, <laughs> he, you know he, he, he comes through with it for it. And, and that's, that's important to us. And, uh, but, but John, he, he's definitely not a micromanager. You know, he, he does want to know what's going on, he, he, and it's important to him. Uh, you know, our head coach wants to win. That's important to him. Uh, our, our owners want to win. I want to win. You know, it's really, you know, about us. It's really about, you know, those analytics are starting to be big around the National Football League, and really the only analytic that's important to us is Super Bowls. It really is. At the end of the day, it's really Super Bowls. That's, that's, what, every, that's what everybody wants. That's, that's important to everybody. Well, let's ask the analog question to you. What kind of general manager do you think you are? Well, I, I think I'm an even keel general manager. I, I think I, I try to stay in the middle, you know, because things can get ugly and you're never as bad as you seem and you're never as good as you seem. So I try to stay in the middle of the road and, and, and try to be the voice of reason because sometimes the sky can be falling, you know. I just like, try to say, like, okay, you know, everybody stay in the boat. We're going to be all right. And so I, I, I try to be that guy. And, and again, I, I try to be forthright and, 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 and talk about what the issues are. And so everybody will know where we are and what we need to do, you know, what we need to do to move forward and to win football games and win Super Bowls. Yeah, he, so. he is the most even keel person I've ever been. I mean, he is always calm, always optimistic. Even in the New York market, huh? It doesn't, yeah, it, do. it doesn't matter what is going on. And, you know, as he, as he often says, I do enough worrying for both of us. And he's always telling me, stay in the boat, stay in the boat. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And, you know, more often than not, that he, he's right. And you've been around successful businesses all your life. How does this model deviate, or is it exactly the same or similar to a traditional business model? 
I, I think it's it's pretty similar because it you know running a successful business you know comes down to hiring the right people, uh, giving them the resources to do their job, and then creating a culture where people want to be there. They, they want to work for your organization. They, they, they see that there is opportunities for advancement either within your organization or maybe within another club in the league. So you promote that kind of culture and, and people want to work for you. I mean, we, we you know, use this team concept over and over again. And uh, you know, our, our, I want everybody to feel like they're part of the organization. Our receptionist has the same Super Bowl ring that Eli Manning has. You know, everybody, I want everybody to feel like they're a part of the, the organization and, and that, that we win together, we lose together. Let's talk about the information age for a couple of minutes. We alluded to it earlier. Um, Twitter, uh, ease of social media conversation, blessing or curse? I mean, it's both. I mean, it's, it's a blessing in, in terms of it, it be, you being able to communicate with your fans uh, very quickly and get messages out that you want to get. But it's also a curse because uh, so much misinformation goes out there. And then once a rumor starts, it, it spreads like wildfire. And it, it's, it's probably more of a curse for Jerry's uh, side of the business uh, because, again, it just leads to rumor and innuendo. On the business side, you know, the social media has certainly been a huge asset that, that, that we're only uh, beginning to touch the surface on. And in the business side, you can probably deflect a little better. On the football side, everybody's got an opinion and everybody expresses the opinion. And I don't know what you do when you drive, drive home. Do you turn off ESPN? Do you turn it up? Do you listen to everything? Are you, are you one of those guys who gets every, all the input from everybody? I, I think you get numb to it at, at some point when you're here for so long, you know, the, the talk radio. And, and a lot of time, you really just don't want to hear it. And you listen to another station uh, a lot of the time because, again, everybody has an opinion. And, uh, and that's, that's OK, you know. Um, but at some point when you hear and you listen to talk radio, every station is a talk radio station. And, and some of these yeah. guys, they, they, have, they, have, they, have, they have strong benches. What the hell's wrong with the Giants? What did they do? Right? That's the one thing about uh, the business that, that all of us are in is that, you know, and particularly in ours, is everybody's an expert. Yeah. Everybody you meet is an expert. Um, and, you know, 95% of the time, they really don't know what they're talking about. They don't have all the information. And stuff. But that, I mean, that's part of what makes your, your, your sport so great and so popular, though, is people have opinions, they like to talk, and they like to argue about it. That can be frustrating you know, for both of us. But you know, one lesson my father always told me, I and mean, we, we, get, we get mail all the time. Uh, when the season's going well, not so much. When it's not going well, the mail pours in. And, and what he always taught me was you always got to respond to them, because they're only doing that because they care. They have a passion for the team and they care, and you, you got to at least give them a courtesy of a response. Did you explain that to Steve Tisch after your Super Bowl when he was out there being booed at the you know the, the <laughs> season opener the next year? Well, yeah, that was an unusual circumstance. We we were moving into a new stadium and we had just announced a, uh, yeah, a PSL program, and and I told Steve afterwards I didn't know he was going on the field at the time. He, he, he we were doing some uh, cancer awareness uh, benefit at halftime and. And we had just announced our, our personal seat license program, which was not very popular, to say the least, when we announced it. And Steve went on the field um, uh, escorting Christy Brinkley, <laughs> of all people, and he got booed uh, right, out of the, right out of the stadium. And um, I said to him afterwards that, Steve, when you've been around this business as long as I have, you'll realize that there are only two times when an owner is not booed uh, in his own stadium. One is you're 
holding up the championship trophy, and two is you're dead and they're carrying your body out of the building. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> and there's no guarantee on number two either. So. <laughs> but you waited until after you went out there to Well, yeah, him. I didn't realize he was going out there. And I, I said, if they boo you when you're escorting Christy Brinkley out there, that's usually a pretty bad sign. Speed of decision-making, though, follow up on the Twitter blessing or curse comment from your perspective. You got to sprint down the hall fast, but do you feel the pressure to compress decision-making these days because the information processing age may require you to make decisions quicker than 10, 20 years ago? No, we, we take our time. We really don't pay a, a lot of attention to Twitter and social media things from, from my end of the business. You know, we, we make calls. We still talk on the phone. We, we talk to the people we need to speak to uh, with respect to acquiring players and uh, making transaction and, and personnel. So, um, you know, I, I really don't pay that much attention to, to, to Twitter, to be honest with you. Data in another context. You know, the NFL, I guess the 400 million is in the popular press, so it's, it's a significant number. NFL just did a deal with Microsoft where they will have a uh, multi-year major sponsorship deal, but you now have the prospect of coaches and everybody else on the sideline with the laptops, and I can't wait for the image of, uh, all right, let's say Andy Reid or, or any former lineman who is a, who's a, uh, now a head coach who's trying to press the iPad buttons and the fingers are like that big and you can't do it, you shake it around and what do you do with it? Are we at the information age now where it's really going to be these high-tech devices so important to the business of football on the field? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit of a skeptic uh, about that. I mean, yes, that's going to become a part of our business, but you know, it still comes down to picking the right players and the right coaches and putting the right talent on the field. All that other stuff you know, can help you. Uh, and can help you on, on game day, but, but uh, you, know, you, be you better have the right people uh, down there on the sideline, you better have the right people in the front office. What about, do you feel the same way about the iPads on the sidelines? What about that one? I, I just can't see Coach Coughlin with an iPad on the yeah, sideline no. making, call, you know, calling some plays with an iPad, but uh, you, you never know, you, you have to evolve with everything that happens these days. You know, it's an information age and uh, technology is all over the place, so you know, everybody makes adjustments. What year, what, what year was it when, when Bill Coward stuffed the, uh, the faxed uh, picture of the too many men on the field in a referee's shirt? <laughs> too long ago. Yeah, you do it with the iPads now, right? I mean, is that, yeah, is that no, what I, we're I, looking forward I'll to? I'll tell you how that all started, actually. Uh, you know, going back to our days when we played in Yankee Stadium, uh, you know, my father was the first person uh, to do this, to, to take pictures of, of the formations on the field. And he would sit up in a booth in Yankee Stadium with an old Polaroid camera, take the picture, he would, he would develop it, and he would put it in a weighted sock there, and he would throw it out onto the field. The, the equipment guy would get it, he would bring it over to the coach, and they would look at it. Now we're, we're, we're talking about That's a great story. Was that legal, yeah, that's, by the way? Uh, it was legal back then, yes. But that, that's how all that got started. Now we're going to do this all on iPads. Isn't so, that interesting? Yeah. We're going to see the time with the official being uh, told on a face of an iPhone, look at this play. But... I guess we're not going to allow that in the future. Competition committee is going to have to deal with some of those we'll, issues. We'll deal, down with, the road. we'll deal with it when we read it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, where does the whole technology issue go, and when does it reach a ceiling where what happens on the field stays on the field? You got to protect the integrity of the competition on the field. Are we are we there yet? Are we looking at some of those issues? I, I mean, we're always conscious of that. I mean, I, every you know, I've served on the competition committee for a number of years now, and you always try to maintain the integrity of the game and make sure that that nobody has an unfair competitive advantage. Give everybody the same resources, make sure people aren't abusing. It's such a competitive business. You're always looking for that edge. And sometimes people tend to you know, walk over the line a little bit and we're always looking for ways to 
you know, keep everybody under control. What about you, Jerry, from a technological perspective? Is there a glass ceiling somewhere? Well, I don't think there's a glass ceiling because technologies, you know, can continue to, to grow and, and you have to keep up with technology. You know, I, I remember when I, in, in 90, I think 94, when I came on with the Giants as a, as a young scout, we were still writing reports with pencils and pens, and pens and pencils. And so, so it's, we've come a really a, a long way fr from that. And, you know, I just think if, if, you, if you stay behind, you'll get left behind, you know, if you don't, you don't, if you don't join the pack with technology. Self-development, then we'll get into some NFL issues. Um, how do you keep learning? Do you have mentors in the business? Well, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty driven person, and, uh, you know, I, I, I like winning Super Bowls. That, 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 that's, that's, that's fun for me. That's, that's fun for us. And, and, and to keep doing that, you have to stay ahead of the pack. And uh, I, I do have mentors, you know, really started out from my, my, my family. You know, my, I, I see my, my mother work hard, and I see my, my, my grandparents work hard. And it really gave me a, a strong work ethic as I, you know, as I was a young person growing up, and uh, and I, as I get into the business, you know, uh, I, my coaches from high school, you know, were, were mentors for me, uh, my, my my stepfather. So so there were a lot of people in my life, and, and professionally, when I came on in the professional business, you know, Ro Roosevelt Brown, who was a he was a Hall of Fame player for for the New York Giants, he was a bit of a mentor for me. He, one thing he told me about about scouting players, he says, Jerry, there's no perfect player. So don't look for one. Nobody's perfect, you know. So those kind of things, I can still hear Rosie talking to me about uh, watching as a young scout, watching George Young, you know, operate the room in the draft, those kind of things. And obviously, Ernie, of course, you know, Ernie, of course, he's one of the smartest people I've ever been around uh, with respect to, you know, football. You know, Ernie, of course, has probably forgotten more about football than most people in the National Football League right now even know. That's how smart he is to me. And he, he was always a great mentor for me. So it, it's always a growing process. You always want to learn. We have, we have young people in our organization right now who, 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 I, who I still learn from. You know, I'm 49 years old, and I'm really one of the old GMs now. There's a lot of young guys coming up, and we have guys like Kevin Abrams, who's here in the audience today, who stays on top of these things, and he pitches all kinds of stuff over and over to you. And he has all these, these crazy ideals, and, and, you know, and, and I always say, Kevin, just keep pitching. You know? And he, he definitely does that. So these, the young people in your organization, I, I, a lot of times we, we hire interns. And I say, guys, be careful how you treat these interns, because you'll be asking for a job in a couple of years. So, so, so that's important. These young people, they, they know all about the technology. And, and, but at the end of the day, it, it's about being self-motivated and being driven and, and wanting to succeed, to succeed. John, who are your heroes? I mean, for me, you know, and my hero and mentor was always my father, and um, you know, because he he built our business and and helped build the National Football League into what it is uh, today. I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to work uh, with him for 15 years until he passed away in 2005. Just felt like that was an invaluable uh, experience for me, both uh, professionally and, and personally. So I would have to say it would be him. Okay, we've got a few minutes left to shift uh, to uh, not an ins uh, inconsequential subject, the, the future of the NFL, just for a few minutes. Um, huge television deal, eight, eight more years of labor peace, globalization. Um, not everybody's happy, but it's the most amazing success story that anybody has seen, largely because of, of your family and others who pioneered an incredible revenue-sharing deal where the Packers and Jaguars get the same amount of national TV money as the as the Giants. First, that 
that is a bedrock in the NFL. That will stay that way for, for, uh, for forever, for a long time, correct? It will, and I, and I think that, that that decision, which was made back in the early 1960s when television was first starting to you know, explode into the NFL, uh, helped make us what we are today. I mean, that and the fact that we have a collective bargaining agreement with the salary cap, so every team in the league has the ability to compete. Everybody, everybody's fan base feels like they have a chance to win every year. That is not like that in, in a lot of other sports and in, in a lot of sports uh, internationally, as, as uh, many of you know. You know, there are some, there are revenue disparities in our league based on, um, based on stadiums and, and, and the size of your market, but uh, every one of us uh, can only spend a certain number, certain amount on players. Uh, you can't spend uh, over that. And every one of us shares in the biggest revenue stream on national TV on an equal basis. That gives everybody a chance to win, and that's what makes the NFL so popular. When we were at dinner last night with some people who knew Australian rules football but not the NFL, you described a little bit of the working relationship here, and they said, uh, you mean there's a salary floor and a salary cap and you share all your revenue? Well, that's, that's communism. So yeah, all right, that's communism, but yeah. the average franchise value has gone up you know, 70% in the last few years. So. Somebody's done something right. Yeah, well that, no question about it. And it's been described as socialism or communism for many, many years. But, um, you know, for us, it's, it's, it, it makes sense. It, you know, uh, and it, it, it just gives everybody a chance. And, and it gives every, the most important thing you can do for your fans and your fan base is to give them hope. And so they've got to come into each season thinking this is going to be the year for us. We're going to get into the playoffs. We're going to make a run for the Super Bowl. And if, you, if they don't have that, it is awfully tough, um, awfully tough to come to work every day and stuff. But, but I think you know, each year, all 32 clubs feel like this could be their year. And, uh, you know, that's, that's such an important factor in our league. What is the biggest challenge the NFL faces today in your estimation? I mean, I think there are two things. Um, I, I, I think obviously health and safety, uh, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, attention uh, focused on, on concussions. and. You know, we spend so much time, I'm on the, the competition committee as well as the uh, player health and safety committee. Uh, we spend so much time talking about how can we make the game safer? What rules can we implement? What new policies can we come up with to make the game safer? Um, and, you know, we've, we've changed a number of rules over the last few years. We have a new concussion protocol uh, in effect where, where if, a, if a player uh, is uh, suspected of having a concussion in a game, he has to come out of that game. Uh, he cannot re-enter and he cannot get back on the field even for practice until he's been cleared by an independent uh, neurologist and things like that that we have to keep working on. We obviously have you know, uh, fairly serious litigation going on uh, right now uh, for players who, who claim that they have suffered uh, concussions and long-term effects of that. So we're working towards uh, hopefully getting that resolved at some point. But that, that to me is the number one issue. In addition to that, um, an issue that we face around the league uh, right now is even though our game is so popular and our TV rati ratings have just exploded, uh, we have a challenge getting people uh, to come to our stadiums because the TV viewing experience you know, has become so good you know, with the high-def TVs and the NFL Red Zone channel and the ability to watch multiple games. Um, you know, people will sometimes make the decision, why bother going out to the stadium? Let's just stay home and watch it on TV. So we always have to... Um, come up with new ways to make it more attractive for them to come to the stadium. What else can we do to bring them into the stadium, uh, make them feel like they're part of the family, make them feel like they're important, like we need them there? And that, that to me, is a challenge that we have to continue to face going forward. Well, if everybody goes 12 and 4, then you're not going to have a problem. Everybody's going to come out and see them. Oh, oh <laughs> mathematically, you can't do that. I, I, I understand. That's, right. That's the issue. 
what does the game look like from your perspective 10 years from now? Well, I still think it has a bright future, the National Football League. It's, you know, it's such an exciting game. The fans, every ounce of what we're doing, you know, they, they want to know about the draft. They want to know how do we approach the draft. So every, everything that you can do, fans love it. They absolutely love it. And, and coming to the games, there's nothing that uh, a substitute for coming to the games, you know. You, you come out to, 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 to MetLife Stadium and, and the Giants ro roll out of the locker room and, and here come the Cowboys out of the locker room. That experience or, or the Eagles or, or the, uh, anybody in the NFC in our division, it's nothing like that experience to see those teams come out there and the, the fan experience is, 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 is great. Uh, I think the future is very bright. Uh, the, the, the safety protocol that, that Commissioner Goodell, that, that's very, very at the, on the forefront of everything we're trying to do. And, and people talk about, well, you know, the game is getting soft. It's not getting soft. You know, at, at the beginning, you know, they had the, uh, the protocol with the, the, uh, the linemen who could hit quarterbacks. You know, there's a strike zone where you can hit the quarterbacks. You know, it's an area. And, you know, they, they belly ached about that for a while, but they made the adjustment. These guys are world-class athletes. And, and the, 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 uh, the new safety protocol that, that has been implemented, they make the adjustment. These guys are world-class athletes. They definitely make the, make the it's still a hard-hitting game. It's a physical game. So the, you know, the, the excitement of, of, of players being healthy moving forward, I, we're, we're excited about that. And, and the fan experience moving forward, we're excited about that. So I think the future's bright. Your esteemed colleague from the NFL office, Mr. Anderson, always wants to push the envelope in a lot of different ways. Safety, health, he, you're in good hands there. But, but also the, some of the things that will get people to understand the in-stadium experience is important. Um, access to, to cameras, the, 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 the system, that you have where locker rooms are now going to be uh, not off limits all the time to people who c come to the games. As a general manager, you resist some of that, don't you, or not? Well, well or a little bit. greater good kind of thing? Well, well a little bit. You, you know, we, we want the fans to have, have a great experience at the game, but, but, but at, at, at times, you know, some of the things, we, there's a little bit of pushback with the head coach. You know, they want, you know, the head coaches are, are notoriously uh, paranoid about everything, information that goes out. So. So you have to give them some privacy, and play, players deserve some privacy as well. But we, we love the, the fans having that, that game day experience that you can't get anywhere else except coming to the stadiums. Have you had, ever told him and said, uh, you know, what are you doing? You're, you're screwing up our we game. We do that all the time. I, I yeah. say that to him We, all we do the that time. all the time. Okay. We, had, we had a discussion, you know, the, the music that you play in a, in a, in a stadium is important, and, and the, the population that you have in the stadium is, is so diverse. I mean, you have you know, people my age and older who like a certain type of music, and you have people who are younger, and it's always that, that balance. We had a situation a couple of years ago. We were playing um, you know, during the game you know, a, 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 a lot of hip-hop music and everything, and some of our players in the field during the timeouts are you know, kind of dancing around, and it, it, and it just drove Jerry crazy. It actually kind of drove me crazy, too, and he, he called up our, our, the guy who's in charge of our entertainment and said, listen, I don't care if you play row, row, row the boat and stuff, but you're not playing that anymore because the players aren't concentrating. And I had to say to Jerry, you know, we're trying to get people you know, enthused. You know, you go to these other buildings and you can't hear yourself think, and I want our building to be that way too. So uh, row, row, row your boat is not quite going to do it. But, but you always have that balance that you have to is that, one, is that a football decision or a business decision? Which one? Well, well you know, my only thought is it's not a good, especially, you know, it's okay if you're winning, everything's right. going well, but if yeah. you're getting your behind kicked and, you know, and, you know, you're down, you know, 21 points and you're in the fourth quarter and that music come on, your players start dancing out there, that just don't go over well with me. So, <laughs> so that, 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 that was my problem yeah. with that. Well, you know what I'm gathering from this conversation and quite clearly 
the New York Giants are in fantastic hands now and in the foreseeable future. Uh, these guys have invited you to the Super Bowl next year on their nickel. Anybody <laughs> who wants to go, get a send them a, send them a note, seriously. Yeah. Obviously kidding. This is a major branding experience for the Giants. They are in really good hands. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Reese. Thank you, Thank you.